You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith with my friend Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. Ethan and I are certified financial planners and partners in Seattle-based wealth management company Empirical Wealth Management. And we designed this show to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. Our name, Empirical, for the show and our company is based on the fact that we like to use evidence-based investing. That's an approach that looks towards sufficient independent research uh, as a justification for implementation in that approach. We'd love to hear from you throughout the show. Uh, Ethan, if you wouldn't mind giving out our contact information. We were a little delayed. We had some technical difficulties. <laughs> but, no, no problem. Uh, I think we got it under control now. I think so. Yeah, this is a live show, um, which I guess sometimes uh, isn't always good. But uh, today, anyway, you can reach us via phone at 866-472-5790. And uh, if you prefer email, that's fine, too. That's contact at empiradio.com. All right. All right. And uh, if you're an individual out there looking for help, today I, I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, an interesting piece of research put out by uh Morningstar, the company that that uh, the mutual fund data tracking and rating company, Morningstar, uh-huh. uh, and uh, there's a, a publication just came out September 8th of this year that came across my desk called Alpha, Beta, and Now Gamma uh, by the head of their retirement research at Morningstar Investment Management, David Blanchett, CFA, CFP, and Paul Kaplan, PhD, CFA. Um, the gist of this article, really, Ethan, is about the value that um, having a, if we distilled it down, um, how uh, an advisor can add significant value mm-hmm. um, and trying to quantify that in terms of a percentage of increase in income and a percentage increase in return um, to your wealth, which is both interesting uh, ways of looking at it, and they refer to this as gamma. I thought we could talk about this article, Ethan, and it's interesting because these are things that we've been sharing yeah. for a decade plus that uh, we have real life. Um, sometimes you see things in an academic sense, right, studies and research. Sure. You look at it and say, does that does that really affect the real life situations that we come across as financial planners? And uh, I think that the reality is there's probably a lot more return than what is in this study, uh, because uh, one of the things you've been writing about is this getting a retirement advantage. Yeah, um, the value that goes beyond simply picking stock and bond investments or alternative uh, asset investments. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of increasing your wealth throughout retirement. And if you are heading into that retirement period, you're within a decade of retiring and you are up to and into retirement, you should give us a call. Talk to Ethan 
and uh, he can explain in, in detail how we can help you make the vital decisions that can make an enormous difference. And here in the Morningstar study, it's they come up with close to 30% more income, and I'll, I'll go through a little bit, mm-hmm. bit of it, just by making some uh, higher-level decisions and uh, working with a financial advisor to make those decisions. Right. Um, it doesn't cover many of the areas that you cover um, in the retirement process that you've put together. Uh-huh. Uh, so we encourage you to give us a call if you'd like us to take a look at what you're doing. And again, we're not aggressive sales guys here. We're just trying to help. Uh, so if you do listen to the show, even if you're picking it up uh, in the archive later, give us a call. And you can call us at the firm here at 1-800-923-4307. Ask for Ken Smith or Ethan Broga. And uh, we'd be happy to to talk to you about, particularly if you've got a portfolio that's uh, in excess of a half a million dollars, mm-hmm. and some of the options that you start to have um, in making these strategies work uh, can add up to a significant amount of wealth. That's correct. If you're below that, we're happy to help you as well and get you in the right direction because you need to save every penny you possibly can uh, to help build your portfolio, particularly if you're younger. Mm-hmm. But um, but there are a lot of things that as you're heading into retirement, right, Ethan? Yeah, particularly as you enter retirement, um, there there are a lot of choices that you're faced with um, that really set the tone for the rest of your life from a financial perspective, anyway. Um, so yeah, the sooner you know, if you're you're getting close to retirement, it's time to start thinking critically about those options that will arise here in the next few years as you enter retirement. Um, things like how to minimize taxes, right? How to maximize whatever your pension might be or your social security uh, if you qualify for those benefits uh, how to optimize those into in the context of your your specific plan um, and of course that backs into um, how best to allocate resources that you have to invest as well so lots of choices to make and um, a lot of ways to do it but i think there's a, only one right way for you and that takes a critical analysis i think you've done a pretty good job Ethan. i, I want to i'll get into this study here and then um I want to come back to some of the work that you've been doing in, in helping to quantify how the decisions you make um, outside of what the stock market, without uh, absent trying to predict what the stock and bond market is going to do today, yeah, right, day to day, there is an enormous amount of value uh, that can be added to your wealth by simply making smarter decisions. And I, I thought... I, I'll read through some of this, um, Ethan, and it's it's really kind of shocks me because I uh, wouldn't expect a, a mutual fund company that has kind of built its reputation on on for the average person out there investing on their on their star ratings. And we've talked repeatedly how we believe it's really a, a not the best way of picking your investments. Sure, um, uh, it's it's interesting that they turn their attention to to this study. So mm-hmm. again the title of this is September if you google it alpha beta now gamma um and I'll just kind of click through I've already read it, it's about 27 pages and uh I'll click through the intro here and some of the conclusion and then I can speak um about some of the assumptions and things that they were using some of the formulas get kind of complicated and we'll try to keep it okay straightforward but that sounds great. Uh the article comes starts out that potential benefits from good financial planning decisions are often difficult to quantify. For any given portfolio, investment decisions can generally be decomposed into two primary components, beta and alpha. 
beta can generally be defined as the systematic risk exposures of a portfolio, usually achieved through asset allocation, while alpha is the residual or often referred to skill or luck-based component associated with the various flavors of active management. For example, you could have tactical asset allocation where you're adjusting your allocation all the time uh, or security selection. Hey, I'm, I'm owning a group of stocks and I'm, I'm rotating them out all the time. Uh, I'm less concerned maybe in that situation about whether they're large or small or growth or value. I'm just looking for winners. So alpha really to sum that up, Ethan, I think it's a good little review here. Beta is more about the risks that you take in the market. I'm exposing myself to stocks instead of bonds. Okay. That would be an example of, of beta risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a risk that you take and you expect to be rewarded. And that reward should come whether there's skill or luck involved in that situation. What's going on? You, you look like you're in pain. You keep messing with your headphones. It's quite <laughs> distracting. <laughs> well, normally, we have new headphones at the, uh, the okay. show today. And, uh, well, I ate lunch recently. and so a little snack. I'm having uh, to clear my throat. And there's no, like, uh, oh, you know, real okay. professionals have a little mute button on the on Real professionals. <laughs> <laughs> and so I don't have that luxury, uh, apparently, here. So uh, I don't want to do it on the air. So I'm taking the microphone away from my okay my mouth area. Okay. Let's just all stay calm. <laughs> Yeah, I, hopefully there are, our listeners didn't hear me clearing my throat. Um, okay, so um, I thought it was a little loud. I'm sorry, because they are new, and I thought maybe Simon just wasn't getting the picture that it's too loud. No, no, that's okay. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> Beta, okay, well, I was giving you the example. Those are two ways of generating return when you're looking at risk. So beta being I'm taking rewarded risks, risks like investing in stocks instead of conservative treasuries or CDs. Uh it's a, a risk that every investor should understand and be able to differentiate between those two risks, Ethan. Uh, one being beta and alpha being, hey, I'm, I'm taking risk uh, and I'm trying to get additional returns. So now I've decided to be in stocks mm-hmm. and rather than maybe own a, a market portfolio, a total stock market index, for example, I'll pick a subset of stocks. Uh, I may be taking the same amount of risk uh, zoning an entire basket of them, but I expect to perfor- get the performance from my skill or maybe just luck uh, in those stocks that the basket I own will do better than the broader basket. Does right. that make sense? Yes. So that's been the traditional way of viewing um, asset management and, and where returns are coming from. So he goes on to say, alpha and beta are the heart of traditional performer- performance analysis. However, as we show in the article, their impact on successful retirement can be far less important than other financial planning decisions. They introduce a new concept called gamma, which is designed to measure the additional expected retirement income achieved by an individual investor for making more intelligent financial planning decisions. I mean, that is at the heart of our entire mission of why we exist. <laughs> That's true, right? We could have wrote our, wrote this. I think this is in our, our material. Um, I don't know, maybe you got a copy of, of the brochure that you've been passing around, Ethan. But uh, surely you just. Uh, <laughs> I do have, not, although not right in front of me at this moment. Okay, okay. But it, it talks about the same type of thing, right, where we're, we're not focused on any one specific area, but all areas that have to do with your, your financial life and getting those to be an optimal you know, it's, the overall it's the context. Additional expected income achieved by investors for making more intelligent financial planning decisions. It's one of the hardest things for us to quantify when we're meeting with yeah. new 
prospective clients until sure. they've experienced it over the year, years of working with us. It's hard to sit down and quantify that. And I know you've done a great job of doing it. They're trying to do it here. And even when you get into the assumptions they make, it's still very difficult, I think, for the average person to read this. Oh, yeah. And, and go, oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Sure, uh, so sure. If I were to distill it down, I'll just finish the intro and then kind of distill down a, a short summary and then we can get a little deeper. That because sounds good. of our late delay here, Simon, just let us know when it's break time coming up. Um, so just so you know, Ethan, the gamma is a, it's a third letter in the Greek alphabet. You probably know that from your fraternity days. You're yeah. Kind of alpha, a, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, kind of guy. zeta, eta, theta. I don't know. Yeah, all that stuff. Um, and it traditionally it's been used in, uh, financial economics statistics as a variable that denotes, uh, investors degree of risk aversion. They want to give it a different connotation here in this thing. And it's just, Hey, what, what are we, what are we getting an added value from just making smarter financial decisions, not the investment risks we talked about? Yeah. So they break it into five important financial planning decisions. And this is where I was saying, if you look at what we do, we incorporate all five of these, Ethan, and then a whole heck of a lot more. Yeah. Um, so this, if this study has any merit, um, I'm sure it will be reviewed and debated uh, among the industry and other academics, but, um, I would, make an argument that good planning would, would add to what they're showing here. And those five uh, being a total wealth framework to determine, A, the number one, the optimal asset allocation. Number two, a dynamic withdrawal strategy, so the approach you take to withdrawing. Mm-hmm. Number three, incorporating guaranteed income uh, products. So the way the decisions you make around uh, incorporating things like, say, a fixed annuity into your payment that has a a longevity risk uh, management component to it. Tax-efficient allocation decisions uh, is number four. And five, a portfolio optimization that includes uh, the liability. So what they're talking about there is when you're making asset allocation decisions over your lifetime, looking at what the liability is, what are we actually trying to uh, matching our assets with our current and future liabilities, it's been a, an approach that, say, an endowment or an institution uh, would take to solving insurance companies that have future liabilities. They're more more concerned with matching their current assets to future liabilities, mm-hmm. and it's an approach that um, we can kind of talk about as we go through. And should we go through that, Ethan? It's probably very f- familiar to what you've been talking about. In your, in your retirement education, uh, about number one, getting the asset allocation right. Sure. Uh, and just a real quick, they, they do a little overview and I think, uh, I think it's worth talking about briefly before we get into this a little further, but they talk about, uh, uh the notion of beta and alpha have long fascinated financial advisors and their clients. Alpha allows an advisor to demonstrate and potentially quantify the excess returns generated, which can help justify fees. In contrast, beta helps explain the risk factors of a portfolio to the market, i.e. the asset allocation. And I was at a little meeting yesterday with uh, other advisors, mm-hmm. um, speaking to some professionals in the industry. And it was interesting because most of them spent a lot of time talking about their alpha um, we are currently doing this. This is what we think is going to happen to interest rates now. Here's what we're doing. Um, an alternative 
the alternative asset space is such a huge buzz right now. Um, I think a lot of these are self-generated industry solutions to um, quick, fix, quick fix solutions to problems. Uh, the real problem being that the client probably needs better planning, the real issue in my view, mm-hmm. um, because markets are uncertain, right? But we all like the silver bullet approach, and I, I, well, just, sure. I see that pervasive through the industry that these advisors want to... It's not even just the industry. It's uh, it's pervasive in, in all, a lot of aspects of life, not just financial. But the alpha part of it uh, and the beta part of it are really the easiest parts to distill if, if you look at the research on all of this. And they talk about it. Um, the importance of quantifying beta, the importance of asset allocation uh, has been one of the most controversial and emotional subjects of the past 25 years. The first Brinson B. Bauer Hood study came out in 86, 1986, and they talked about in that study that um, the first one, they said, hey, 93% of the variance in returns is coming from the asset allocation policy decisions being made. And they mm-hmm. followed that up in 1996 uh, and found it to be closer to 91.5%. And then a follow-up study done by um, a very well-known academic, Ibbotson, um, that we interviewed on our radio program. If you go to our archives That's right. somewhere, you'll find it. And we actually talked to him about this study, which was he looked at it and said, well, um, asset allocation explains about 90% of the variability of a fund's uh, return over time but only about 40% of the variation of returns across the existing funds. Um, hmm. So of the 40% of variation across the funds, settling their bait and the proper interpretation of that 40%, there's another study in 2010 that Ibbotson and his compadres did. Uh, and basically they said, hey, about three-quarters of a typical fund's variation in, in returns come from general market moving. Movements, so seventy-five percent coming from those general. This is what we talked to Roger about on our on our program. That's right. With the remaining portion split roughly even between the specific asset allocation and active management. Hmm. Um, so there's two papers: Ibbotson, two thousand ten, and Eidzerich, two thousand ten. You can check out on that. Um, now, Alpha. It's interesting what he has to say real quick about that. Uh, is far more difficult to quantify. Sharp. Bill Sharp, 1992, concludes that style and size explain to 80 to 90 percent of mutual fund returns, while stock selection only explained 10 to 20 percent. There have been numerous active versus passive studies, the majority of which suggest that alpha, when correctly measured, emphasis on correctly me- correct measurement there, Ethan, <laughs> likely does not exist after taking fees into an account. Therefore. If a financial advisor's value proposition is focused on the notion of adding alpha, which, like I was saying, um, five out of the six advisors I heard speak, it was. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I didn't hear him talking about these other factors that really all we want to talk about. Right. There's a lot in the harnessing beta section of this and harnessing how markets return where we can add an enormous value as advisors. But it isn't through this traditional concept of alpha. Um, and this is the Morningstar analyst saying this, um, which, by the way, Morningstar is tracking 
<laughs> active managers and, and categorizing them and ranking them they're, against each other, by the way. They're desperately seeking alpha. Well, they're, yeah, they're desperately seeking to try to organize and make it easier for you as the investor to try to identify who's going to generate it if you're mm-hmm. going to subcontract that out to a professional manager. Um, and let me repeat that one more time and finish this and then we'll do our thing, Ethan. Okay. Uh, there have been numerous active versus passive studies, the majority of which suggests that alpha, when correctly measured, likely does not exist after taking fees into an account. Therefore, if a financial advisor's value proposition is focused on the notion of adding alpha, and he or she is not able to generate alpha, which should hold an aggregate, and that aggregate means they all can't win. That's the simple mathematics, as Bill Sharp, Nobel mm-hmm. Prize winner, would say. It's the arithmetic of the market. Mm-hmm. They can't all be winners, right? Has the advisor still added value? The answer to this question depends on a variety of factors, but primarily the scope of the relationship uh, with the client. So if an advisor is paid solely to manage a portfolio of assets and does nothing else, i.e. offers no additional advice regarding anything other than the management, uh, other than the investment of the client assets, the concept of alpha and beta should be relatively good measures of the value of the advisor. However, in more complex engagements, in particular as it relates to providing financial planning, Value cannot be defined in such simple returns as alpha and beta, since the objective of an investor is typically to achieve a goal, and that goal is most likely saving for retirement. Of which, by the way, most uh, investors um, are trying to achieve some inflation-adjusted standard of living throughout retirement, that being the goal. Yeah. Uh, Doing the things they can. So in their view, the five things I said that they go through um, and they say, hey, we'll create a baseline based on what we think the average investors are doing on their own or a general course of action, uh, starting with asset allocation. So they look at the average person in the age group. They're using a 65-year-old couple that wants to retire and uh, generate a certain amount of income. Um, they look at that and they incorporate the total allocation. So they take a present value of, um, say, things like pensions or Social Security. Okay. And they say, hey, that's if you are going to receive a stream of income over a given period of time, say it was 40 years or 30 years, um, there's a value to that. You know, people win the, the, uh, people receive insurance, uh, contracts. They're getting them as payments. They can trade those in here. Those companies, the commercials, you can buy. They'll they'll uh, they'll buy your 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 uh, annuity off of you, and they'll give you a one lump sum. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a simple way in financial. For your life insurance, I heard that. Yeah, as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can do that even before you cash in on the policy. Right. Um, but anyway, that Social Security benefit has an expected current value. Sure. And where should you allocate it, right? Where should it be allocated? Well, their notion, and I would tend to agree, is, well, those are, those are more conservative investments like bonds, right? Because it's not subject to stock market volatility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's a uh, guaranteed payment that gets adjusted for inflation, whatever that inflation factor is going to be. Mm-hmm. So those need to be accounted for. In your total asset allocation, they came out with the average person having something like 20% in that age group into equities. 
which I thought was low. But then if you consider the fact that they're accounting it as a total, oh, right. you got your house, you got other Social assets, pensions. things like yeah. that. Yeah, uh-huh. that's probably actually pretty close. Yeah, I guess that's right. Because they might have a 60-40 in their, right, in their retirement account. Yeah. But that 60-40 may not really represent all the value, including future income streams mm-hmm. that they would get. Sure. So any way, they take a look at that and they talk about the different ways that you could allocate and what the key thing an investment advisor should be doing for you is sitting down and really uh, one, ter- determining what the need is, what your capacity for risk is, which is, again, something we've been talking about for years and years. Um, and your capacity is really your ability to assume risk given the goal that you have, the time frame, um, the kind of withdrawal you're going to need to take out of the portfolio, the return that you, you, you need, um, and matching that up with your risk preferences. So, hey, how much am I willing to see um, this thing go up and down in any given period of time? And there's an exercise that you need to go through to try to get a good balance of that, um, most importantly in my view, so that even the base assumptions in this, Ethan, assume that the investors aren't pulling out at the worst possible time. So that 1.89%, uh, they come up with an annual uh, yeah. rate of, of uh, added value by the advisor, 1.82%, I'm sorry, um, by having an, uh, making these series of smart financial decisions. <laughs> I think that would be significantly increased if you took the base assumption and you said, hey, this is what kind of the Dalbar study shows us investors <laughs> are doing. Yeah, right. Um, they have, we have a tendency to pull out at uh, the bottom of markets and, and buy into hot asset classes at their peaks. Yeah. It doesn't account for any of that. Right. And that's a real real phenomenon, right? We know that's true. We also know right. that people's portfolios probably I'm not sure what they're using for as the baseline in this particular study to compare it against, like how much alpha or advisors are adding. But the cl- the client portfolios I typically see before they come to us are not the type of portfolios they end up after working with us. So no. they're no. they're vastly different. They're usually much more diversified. You know, we we have a lot a lot of unique asset classes that are included in those portfolios versus what relative to what they'd be doing on their own. And if that was the only value we added, that's still significant value right. relative to, their, to that base portfolio that, that the most clients end up with. So I'm curious to see what they use for the base uh, portfolio to calculate the additional, you know. Uh, Just imagine in the basis example, you were saying, well, what's the average real estate investor get, right, when they own their home? Yeah. Um, what that's not accounting for is the fact that when real estate markets start heating up and we hit bubble levels like we did, but someone sells all their stock portfolio, right, and their bond portfolio and roll it into several properties, uh, or even they upgrade their home. Yeah. Um, and they do it in 2007, for example, sure. in that range. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they're now locked into a lifetime if it takes 20 years, right? To, Long time. Uh, to see the market come back. Uh, and they're they're behaving in a way that wouldn't necessarily be the same as assuming somebody just gets the long-term historical average return on real estate by living in a pretty much the same standard of house at all times. But what we know, the psychology, right? We know people when economy's going good, stocks aren't going They started, I saw it, buying more real estate. Um, same thing happens in the stock and bond markets. Um, that's not being captured in this study. Right. There's no account for that, that bad market timing, which can be huge. <laughs> um, yes. 
And so you're getting a, you're, you're getting a, a gamma, as they're calling it, of 1.8% per year by making, just focusing on these five areas that, again, doesn't account for the poor decision making that hopefully a, a good advisor is going to, to be a checks and balance, a check and balance for you in that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to have the right asset allocation. And by doing that in the beginning, um, when they do the study, you get a certain amount of increase of return. The next one is this idea of a dynamic withdrawal strategy. So they point out that typically in a retirement plan, a very basic approach to it for an investor is to say, well, I want this amount in today's dollars, mm-hmm. and then I'll adjust that for some inflation factor, and that'll be my raise, and I'll just keep increasing it over the years. And uh, maybe that, that starts out to be a 4% withdrawal rate. Well, you, you hear that a lot, right? about pay a 4% withdrawal rate should be a pretty safe amount to take out um, rather than reviewing it every single year in relation to what your objectives are and what your remaining liabilities are. So I designed a dynamic income distribution system. They're calling it a dynamic withdrawal strategy uh, that we have, and it does that very thing. Each year you kind of rerun it and look at where you're at, and then you look at your portfolio um, across that you know that time horizon um and so it's just they're looking at a more at a a better way of um addressing that as an ongoing part of your planning the way you withdraw out of the portfolio yeah you know real quick and yeah, yeah. on that a little bit you know when you run these simulations and even in the monte carlo analysis that we use you know we have the uh, the program that we, we use for retirement plans, and it runs the Monte Carlo based on the client's asset allocation, mix of stocks to bonds, and among the asset classes, among the stocks and the bonds, how they relate to each other and all the expected returns and things. You know, when they have a, in, in the simulation, when they have a, a, a down year, let's say, you know, that it projects that next year will be negative return. And then it just assumes that we're going to take the dollars out of the portfolio and that the whole portfolio we're taking from got that negative return. But in reality, you know, when, as advisors, we actually have the choice to take from either the bonds or the stocks at that time. So let's say stocks decline 15%, and we have the ability now to – we want to generate income for the portfolio or take money out of the portfolio. We have the ability to choose whether to take it from bonds or stocks at that particular moment in time. Right. That's a dynamic withdrawal strategy. We don't necessarily have to take evenly across the board stocks and bonds at the same time, right, if stocks just go down. No, in fact, the way that we – built this dynamic income distribution system is that the first 10 years of your income, you're not drawing out of stock at all. At all, right, exactly. Um, and so it's a little bit different because um, if you look at the, 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 the trajectory it takes, you actually uh, earlier, on, you, you start to be increase uh, if you have a surplus or what we call a legacy bucket, that, right. hey, this is the assets I'm going to pass on to my kids or charitable causes mm-hmm. um, and we're not using all of your resources for your income over your retirement. Um, yep. That's where that comes in. And what's interesting is you'll actually see the allocation increase for a period of time if you hold that, that surplus bucket more constant. Yeah, right. But the income bucket is actually being drawn, drawn the, the equity portion is being drawn down, but it's not in the year that you're making the distribution. So you're not going to have a 50% stock market withdrawal uh, decline, right? And then go, okay, well, now we're going to liquidate the stocks to <laughs> cover our expenses. Right. So 
it's a way of managing the market volatility to to optimize that. Um, which is why I, I had no idea that they had. You know, I was doing this way before this. Sure. Why I would call it a dynamic income distribution system, and then you run that each year to determine what income that you you need or you want. Um, and certainly, if you have surpluses and market returns, you can adjust that. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you're going to have a larger legacy or surplus bucket. Mm-hmm. All right, number three, they talk about here. I guess we got a few seconds, so maybe we'll um, get ready to take a break here, Ethan, and then come back and go through the rest of these. Okay. But I think they're critically more important than focusing on the day to day stock and bond market news. I think if investors got good help, they would significantly increase their results. And we'll talk about these other factors when we get back from this break. Pericle Investing. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. 
Okay, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host, uh, Ethan Broga. Uh, if you'd like to join the show today, feel free to give us a call. We can be reached here at 866-472-5790, or you can reach us via email at contact at empiradio.com. And today we're just discussing um, a relatively new study that has been released uh, by Morningstar called uh, Alpha, Beta, and Now Gamma, which talks about the different types of decisions that financial advisors can help clients make and tries to quantify in terms of an annual percentage uh, increase in, in wealth anyway um, by those decisions. And uh, right before the break, we were talking about a dynamic distribution or dynamic withdrawal strategy, which obviously uh, we've talked about before in the program that, that Ken's developed for our firm. And there are a few other things we're going to cover here as well. And then we're going to talk about, I think, a, a few of the things that aren't covered in the study at all that we think add some significant value uh, with regard especially to retirement planning. So in summary, then they, the study said, if you're just tuning in here, that uh, through the five factors they identified with good planning, an investor could increase their overall wealth return by 1.82% per year or have 29-plus percent additional income throughout their retirement. Mm-hmm. These five factors are five areas that we deal with regularly with our clients, but we also have several other factors uh, those being in, in this study, um, number three was annuity allocation, and, and number four, asset location and withdrawal sourcing. Okay. Uh, number five being liability relative, and we'll talk about these real quick. But then the things that we do, are, I'll, I'd like to yeah. quiz you about because you've tried to quantify mm-hmm. some of those. Um, so number three, annuity allocation. Well, they talk about the fact that for most people, um, their greatest fear is not necessarily debt, but outliving their assets. Right. Um, and annuities in the right situation can be a great way to help hedge the risk of outliving a potential income stream. Um, if you have accumulated a significant amount of excess or surplus wealth, I think they get overused in the because of the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a very academic or scientific way of approaching that. Uh, and they definitely fit in, um, and that decision should be weighted with the benefit of of the actual statistics, not the emotional fear that I see a lot of these annuities are are being sold not because they are the best approach, but a lot of times it's based on yeah. fear and emotion, right? Not not the statistics, um, and I don't think any of us should be making financial decisions based on fear and emotion, you know, emotional. Um, drivers, whether it be fear or greed, it should be based on what what's what's born out to give us the greatest likelihood of success. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that's an analysis that should be done. And preferably, my strong advice would would be that hey, it doesn't mean you automatically preclude it, but I certainly wouldn't let the person who's getting a large commission be the one to give me the advice on it. Right. I would certainly go to my independent advisor, who should be indifferent either way in terms of financially. Yes. Um, which direction you go on that decision, and get a second opinion at the very least, because it's a pretty. Once you make that decision, uh, it's it's not one that you can easily back out penalty free, in most cases. Mm-hmm. Number four, the asset location and withdrawal sourcing. Here they're talking about putting more tax-efficient uh, investments in a taxable account and less tax-efficient 
investments in retirement accounts. Their example in the paper was, hey, rather than just put everything equally in every type of account, we'll go ahead and put things like taxable bonds in IRA accounts where the interest each year that those generate will be sheltered from tax. Right. Um, right. When we'll put things that tend to have deferred uh, tax or capital gains, which currently still is a lower rate, we'll put those in a taxable account and we'll run this analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some tax alpha to be had by doing that. Sure. It's part of your presentation. Yeah, that's How right. can we do this, this concept of asset location to help optimize? Now, the, the weakness, I think, in their strategy where we would be able to enhance is they're only using two buckets, a tax, taxable bucket and a tax deferred bucket. You add in a third bucket, which is a tax free bucket. Yeah, that's right. Um, the Roth, the withdrawal sourcing part of it, uh, is the, another component that they're talking about, which is, uh, when thinking about withdrawal sequencing, they, they're using, uh, an approach that, uh, where you're taking withdrawal monies from taxable accounts first and more tax efficient accounts, IRAs and 401ks later. Yeah. That could be taken, um, in a very customized, to a customized level where you say, well, that may or may not be the case depending on between age 60, right? And right. 70 when those RMDs come in because they didn't really allow RMDs to affect, negatively affect this. Okay. Um, I think they were pretty neutral. They made a comment in the paper here that they figured the amount that they were withdrawing wound up being about what the RMD would be anyway. Um, but if you could lower that RMD in such a way, depending on how large your account is, right? Uh, I'm speaking in your area here. <laughs> you're right. Well, I mean, gee, especially as you're in a retirement, say if you're, again, we've talked about this on the, on the program, but taking what they've said here on, on item number four, asset location and withdrawal sourcing, Normally, we would have if if the client had the assets in an IRA account. If let's say had a million dollars in a tax deferred IRA at age sixty, you just retired. You also had a half million dollars in a taxable account. You don't have any income other than what you have from your pension because you're just retired, and you're not and you're too young still to qualify for Social Security. Well, for several years, you'll be in a very very low tax bracket. Um, It makes complete sense to me to realize income in those years to the extent that you want to, maybe up to the fifteen percent level, but not to spend the money but purposely withdraw for the purpose of putting into the, the Roth IRA to grow tax-free forever and also then at age 70 no longer be part of the required minimum distribution calculation. That will save you an enormous, enormous amount of tax if you utilize that strategy for a number of years. And any one year probably isn't going to make or break anything, but certainly it's kind of like going to the gym uh, regularly. Obviously, you'll see results, right? Right. It isn't just any one, one time. It's over time that it works. And the same thing is true with this Roth conversion strategy and specifically Piggybacking that one with the asset location idea and also with the withdrawal sourcing. They use pretty, um, pretty standard, uh, assumptions with the monies that went into a taxable account. Um, they were assuming that, uh, a, the, the capital gains rates and the way they were realized each year. Um, I'm pretty confident that the way we do it with the tax efficient funds and the approach to our investing strategy, we're Significantly more tax advantageous. On top of it, we do active tax loss harvesting. Right, right. That's not in this study. So that 1.82% per year they calculate as an added value through these having an advisor that's implementing. It's not accounting for the, if we were looking at our firm, for example. Yeah, right. It's, it's not, not accounting for the Roth conversion work that we're doing. No. Um, 
it's not accounting for the the general tax management that we're doing inside of taxable accounts. They're making some pretty basic uh, assumptions in here. The last one on this was the liability relative optimization, and that's a, a little compli- bit complicated, but uh, asset allocation methodologies commonly ignore the funding risk like inflation and currency associated with an investor's goals. By incorporating the liability into the portfolio optimization process, it is possible to build portfolios that can better hedge the risks faced by a retiree. While these liability-driven portfolios may appear to be less efficient, asset allocations when viewed from an asset-only perspective, we find they are actually more efficient when it comes to achieving sustainable retirement income. So let me try to explain this as I look through it, and I had to read through it a couple times to figure out what he's talking about. I need the explanation a little bit here. Uh, um, basically, saying if uh, you know, a simple example would be, hey, I'm going to I'm going to retire, um, I'm going to retire in, in in a different country with a different currency, for example. My retirement income will be spent in that currency, right? We had in, investors asking us, uh, particularly when the U.S. dollar was getting crushed. Um, hey, we're we're getting hammered here on the U.S. dollar back in the day, right? <laughs> yeah. And my response to that was, well, are you planning on spending your money in a different currency, um, right? Because if you are, then we should really be doing some planning about that. I have a liability of X. It's going to be in Chinese currency. Mm-hmm. Um, if that's the case, we want to hedge out that risk if we can because that future liability um, is in Chinese currency. Well, for most investors that aren't switching currencies because they talk about uh, the issue is inflation. I need today's dollars of this. I don't have earnings yeah. power to go get a job or I don't want to have that as an option. So the biggest liability I ha- factor that I have to be able to figure out uh, is inflation. And so what they do in this study is simply put a retiree in, I think it's like 47% inflation protected treasuries. And then they kind of show how, hey, if that's your biggest risk, um, you, you're matching your, your asset base with the liability better because when inflation is low, those tips won't do very well, but you don't need a higher return because you're not giving yourself as great a raise, right? And so if you've had ample investments or assets to cover your, your retirement, but the biggest risk is the inflation factor, uh-huh. you'd increase the amount of inflation protected securities. And you'd worry less about excess return above that inflation factor. Okay. Right? If you didn't need it. Right. And so by doing so, you will accept a portfolio that, that say it was a, a, a greater amount to stock, for example. You'll, get, you'll probably get a greater, a less um, gross return over the long period. But at the times when you need it, say during very high inflation, the tips have done better than some of those standard asset allocation approaches. So what they're saying here is, hey, take an approach that optimizes the risk. Um, the the investments are optimized relative to the risk that you're dealing with, whether it was currency. Like in my example of, okay. hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be retiring in a different country. I need to start looking at how do I how do I how do I hedge out some of the risk of uh, the dollar collapsing. I see. Uh, at a time when I'm about to convert to Chinese currency and pay my bills. I guess that's all the time. It was a little bit different segment here uh, because of the issues in the beginning. But uh, thank you for tuning in, and uh, 
Hope you have a great week. And again, if you want to contact us, 1-800-923-4307. Ask for Ethan Broga or Ken Smith. And tune in next week for Empirical Investing Radio. Thank you. you've enjoyed empirical investing radio with ken smith and ethan broga please join us again next thursday afternoon at 5 p.m eastern time and 2 p.m pacific time on the voice america business channel and for more information about empirical investing radio please call 800-923-4307 we'll see you next week